For those of you at home, the choir has moved down front so that I have people to preach to instead of empty seats, which I appreciate very much. And they're appropriately socially distanced, more or less, so that's a good deal. Um, We have three scriptures this morning to look at. The first is from Romans 8, starting at the sixth verse. To set the mind on flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to the God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you through the body, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give you life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. From John, and it really is the entire 11th chapter of the Gospel of John, comes a familiar story about a man named Lazarus. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said this, this illness does not lead to death, rather it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? And he answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll be all right. But Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death. But they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, 
And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am resurrection and life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Mary, where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the home, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping. He was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept, his man kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take the stone away. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you? If you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. And when Jesus had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out with his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go free. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him also. Now, I want you to keep this in mind. This was the, the cry of the people of the day 
when Ezekiel is receiving this vision from God. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are completely cut off. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are completely cut off. Okay? And in the midst of that, according to Ezekiel 37, the hand of the Lord came upon Ezekiel, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and sent me down in the middle of, the, of a valley. And it was full of bones. And he led me all around them. And there were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. And he said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you, and I will cause flesh to come upon you, and I will cover you with skin, and I will put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesy that has been commanded. And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling of bones that came together, bone to its bone. I looked and there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath. He said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal. Say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. And I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them and they lived and they stood on their feet, a vast multitude. And he said to me, mortal, These bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you on your own soil. And then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are completely cut off. In the midst of that cry of the people constantly coming round and round and round, the Lord places in Ezekiel's mind's eye a vision of what had been a battlefield. Bones everywhere, 
soldiers everywhere, dismembered, desiccated bones. Now, for bones to dry up, they have to be laying there for a while. That's a virtually unheard of thing in war. Throughout the history of warfare, it has always been true that some poor schmuck had to go and retrieve bodies. In the church I grew up with, there was a family, little tiny slight woman, she would make Sarah Beth look like a giant. And she spoke with an accent. And I thought she was French, but she wasn't French. She was from Belgium. She was a war bride brought back in her teens with her husband, who was there in World War II doing his job of retrieving bodies after battle. He never talked about the war. His son sometimes would tell some of the tales, but... When you retrieved bodies after the war, they did horrible things like they'd have to find a finger and match which body it went to. It was a gruesome task. And this is the kind of thing that Ezekiel looks out and sees. Pieces and parts of people everywhere. And it says the Lord took him through. All of them. There is no hope for desecrated bones. It's a preposterous notion that the Lord gives him prophesy to these that they will live. How would bones come together? How would sinews form upon them? How would they gain flesh? And even if they gained flesh... From the history of the Hebrew people, they have understood that there is no life without breath. And yet the Lord says to Ezekiel, prophesy to these, to this lowly, gruesome battlefield. And he does. And lo and behold, the breath of the Lord comes into these formed bodies. And they once again stand a mighty army. In Ezekiel's vision. Now, if Ezekiel was telling these visions to the people at the time whose only cry in the world is, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are completely cut off. Imagine what they hear. The people of this time were exiled, and we've talked about exile before as a congregation. What happened when the people were exiled was they took the very best that were in the countries, or the country, that had been invaded, and they spread them out amongst the people who were the invaders, the powerful. So no longer could these people, for example, 
go see their own doctor, go see their own lawyer, go to their own marketplace, worship in their own temple, hang out with their friends, send their kid to school, Is any of this starting to sound familiar? I'm waiting for somebody's face to light up and go, yeah, I'm hearing this. I know you haven't had your coffee this morning because we didn't offer it in the back, but come on, somebody. (laughs) They were exiled. Their lives as they had known them were over. They thought their bones were dried up because when bones dry up, they don't get better. They turn to dust. No hope. Completely cut off. And yet here stands Ezekiel talking about a vision of the whole people of Israel finding life again. Now, dear ones, how does one find life in the midst of despair, in the midst of loss, in the midst of crushing defeat? Is any of this sounding familiar? I'm looking for your faces to light up again. According to Ezekiel, the answer is in the breath of God. The ruach is the Hebrew word. And by the way, this is a factual statement, not a radical statement. The word ruah in Hebrew is feminine. So anytime the spirit is mentioned in the Hebrew Bible, it is the spirit she. Oh, factual, not radical statement. The Ruach, the Spirit of God, what we would call now the Holy Spirit, is the one that brings life. We look around this church, and there are actually two people in this room not getting paid today. And one could look at that, one could look at that and say, My goodness, how discouraging! Where have all the people gone? Where is the life of the church? This person looks at it and says, I didn't expect anybody, so two people is good. Thank God for two people. We love you. We love you too. But the church right now is struggling with how to be the church. How do we find community at a time when we have to be socially distanced? How do we find spiritual connection when we can't connect with one another but six feet apart? Some of us have caught on to technology. Isn't that lovely? Yes. But, you know, some of the rest of us are trying to catch up to that technology. And pretty soon, the technology piece of that is not going to be any different than a church on every corner. You can watch a service on every channel. See, now 
The Holy Spirit is the one that, the, that Christians in particular have always understood to be our creative life force, the one that makes us exciting and vibrant and alive. And now is the time for the church to use its creativity to the fullest. lest our dry bones fail to live. I happen to believe that when all of this is done, that the church is going to stand on its feet and rise in ways we have never imagined before. I think we're in the middle of another great awakening, another reformation, another time when the church will become central in the life of people again. We're undergoing existential crisis. Why are we here? What does our life mean? What are we doing? How do we really relate to one another? But see, here's the thing. If when people start to trickle back in, when we start to relate to them again at work and in the grocery stores and in our social gatherings, if we can't offer answers to that as a church, then we sow only disappointment, not hope. Many of you know that I am struggling mightily personally with the thought that we very well may not have Easter this year. I I confess to you truly, I do not know how to be a Christian without Easter. One of the most formative things in my moments, in my whole process of becoming a minister, was when my presbytery mentor and I were sitting in Bob Evans' parking lot, and he said to me, having read my statement of faith, you know, it's got a lot of atonement in it. There's a lot of the cross in there. It's a lot of bloody, drippy, gory stuff going on. And he said, just remember this. In Reformed tradition, we remember the crucifixion, but we celebrate the resurrection. I don't know how to be a Christian without Easter. But by God, between now and two weeks from now, we're going to figure it out because we have to be people of life. The Spirit moves among us and in us and through us to give us life so that we might be a life-giving force in the world. And the world has never needed that more than it does right now. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. And for life. Amen.